have you ever gotten the sense that there are times that you could taste and experience the presence of God and his son more in your life? And sometimes they felt or seemed far away. Have you ever experienced that? I want to talk today as, um, about the spiritual dimension. So if you think about that, I don't know that I understand dimensions that well, but, um, or the, you know, how the depth of dimension, no. <laughs> sorry, I <laughs> couldn't resist the pun, but, um, but if, but I think about the fact that when you think about, you know, perceiving life or seeing things and adding a dimension to it, what that does in what it, whatever it is that, that we're looking at or perceiving. Um, I'm, I really believe that life is experienced so differently when we are aware of the spiritual realm. Because I would say that most of us, you know, or, or many people, never are aware of the spiritual realm. They don't think about it. They don't question it. You know, it's just nothing that, that really comes into, you know, their thought or awareness. And I think for me, there are different times in my life that I am very spiritually connected or, you know, more than others, you know. I feel like it's something that I always desire to grow in more. You know, I don't, you know, there's never been a time where I feel like, wow, I've really arrived on this one, you know. But I would say that the more that I am connected with spiritual realities, the more exciting life is for me. The more peaceful life is, the more fulfilled life is, the more electrifying life is, the more joy I have in my life. And so... As we're going into our next book in our series that we're doing on love letters to the church, we're going to be beginning now in the book of Corinthians. I was looking at the way that that Corinthians starts, and every time, you know, um, as we're going through these books in the Bible and and looking at, there's many topics in Corinthians. It's kind of a wacky book, actually, uh, for many reasons. Um... Corinth was a wacky town in the time that this was written, not like what we're exactly accustomed to, but to give you a sense, in the center of the town, there was a temple at Aphrodite that had a thousand prostitutes serving as priestesses in the temple, like because prostitution was a part of their religious worship, if you can imagine what that might look like. So being in a town that that's the norm, if you can imagine, you know. I mean, we think about, wow, we're just, you know, we think sometimes in our culture we're really out there with HBO, you know, and things like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, think about where the center of your town would be where prostitutes are the priestesses and, and, and prostitution is a part of their religious act of worship. So, so this is the town in which, um, it, you know, the, it's that there were believers there. And Corinthians is considered by many the people that look at the seven church epistles, uh, kind of categorize the seven church epistles as we talked about before, as you know you, you've got the seven doctrine, reproof, correction, doctrine, reproof, correction, and doctrine, um, and you definitely see cor- reproof is a theme in Corinthians because they were doing some crazy things, 
And But you know what's really wild in the book of Corinthians as we're going to be getting into it is you think about some of the more exciting and loving things are also in the book of Corinthians, like one of the more famous sections of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. People that don't even know the Bible know the love chapter, you know, in the Bible. Um, they've seen that before. So it's kind of interesting in how God sees things and really touching that as crazy as things were in Corinth, in, in the city of Corinth, that there's so many loving, amazing sections of scripture. I really believe that you know, again, everything about God, God is love and his heart towards us, even when we're doing crazy stuff, is still love. And so you see that as a theme. Uh, in Corinthians, you also see a lot, as far as a theme goes, of, you know, w- there's a, a lot in the manifestations of Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And so I was looking, as I was looking at the beginning of the book of Corinthians, um, one of the things that I, that I was seeing is the viewpoint of looking at the world through the world's wisdom or through God's wisdom. Looking through life with spiritual eyes versus, you know, just looking at things through the flesh. So that's what we're going to look at. If you look at, um, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 1 in the beginning. And the first part, you know, talks about how it's written to the church in Corinth, and it also talks about the fact that it's to uh, all those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is you and me too, got included in that. So in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, it says, um, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. This was another recurring theme that you see in the book of Corinthians is that there was tons of fighting, bickering divisions within the church. And again, it says, um, and that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, I, fo- I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? You know what's going on? You know, it's like, it, what does this make, sound like to you? They're fighting in the church. I'm a this church. Tr- I'm a searchlight. I'm a Baptist. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, he's going, this is the body of Christ. Why are we doing this? This is one body of Christ. You know, so part of the division was all of a sudden their identity stopped being Christ and got to be where you go to church. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, and that's what Paul's saying, like, really? And again, How is this, this ties into the whole thing that we're talking about as far as seeing things through the flesh or seeing things through the spirit. How's God looking at all the different churches, do you think? You know, it says Christ is the head of all. There's one body. It's not, one body doesn't mean one church. One body is one body of all those that love the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him and have made him Lord and Savior, that that's the one body of Christ. 
Again, spiritual versus carnal. It says in verse 13, oh yeah. Um, yeah, was, uh, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? <laughs> I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except for Cephas and Gaius. So nobody could say you were baptized into my name. <laughs> says, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so you see a lot in this as far as where the, the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. In verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What does that mean, those who are perishing, do you think? I mean, think about that. What are the possibilities of what that could mean as far as those who are perishing? That what? Yeah, people dying. You know, people that haven't believed, people that haven't accepted Jesus Christ, that don't have eternal life. The, um, it's, it's interesting. The message of the cross is foolish. Some people think the message of Jesus sounds ridiculous and foolish. You know, it's interesting. And then it says, but to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, honestly, I don't care if people think it's stupid. Fine, okay. God bless. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it saved my life. So you can laugh all you want, but it saved my life. Jesus Christ saved my life. That's real to me. And it's interesting as we're going to compare. It says, um, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of the world? The smartest of the smarty pants of the world, whatever that is, the most sophisticated, I'm telling you, God makes that look stupid. Look at what God made. I don't care how smart you are in this world. I don't care what your IQ is, what degrees you have, what you come up with of your own accord, man's wisdom looks foolish next to God's. It looks like a child's, no, this is, this is not even close to as extreme. A little, a little, you know, one-year-old scribblings next to Rembrandt. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's like, but even that is not even a fair comparison when you think about it. You know, it's just sort of like, there's something to be said for just acknowledging the, the limited ability that we have as man, whether it's us, you know, I mean, sometimes this is like me, you know, as far as like my wisdom or what I concoct or what I'm so proud of that I've devised or figured out or whatever compared to the wisdom of God. Or definitely in the context of this, of the people that mock God, you know, it says, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. You can be, you know, you know, so smart in a way, well, you know. You know, people that 
go to the place that that there's it, honestly it comes more it's not even so smart but it really comes from the place because I used to be one of these people um, you know was raised in a family of people like this that feel superior to the concept of a god do you know um, God I love this God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God thought it'd be funny to come up with something so foolish sounding as Jesus Christ to save people. I mean, you know, I, I thought, I think it's a little comical, but <laughs> you didn't laugh. <laughs> I think this is funny. Like, you know, all these wise minds and brilliant minds and God's answer you know, is Christ. Do you know, it's just sort of like, it's, um, it's kind of funny too because in the context of this, in the, in the people that, that were living at this time and how they viewed the crucifixion seemed, again, we talked at Easter Sunday about how people weren't really expecting Jesus to be crucified. They expect him to be glorious, a king, you know, rise with power and all that kind of thing. And so they certainly weren't expecting the Savior to be crucified like a criminal on a cross. You know, that, that seemed ridiculous. Um, in verse 22, it says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolish to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So it's just sort of like, if you have ears to hear, honestly, I believe it says, God says, all that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. If you're a hungry person, you're a seeker, you're going to find God. I believe that. The people that don't find God are just in a place of not seeking. I believe that, that you will find God if you have a heart that just wants answers, wants truth, and is seeking and open that you'll find God in that because God's made himself to be known and, you know, and um, to be known. Um, huh. In verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. That's funny. The stupid part of God, and I don't know what the stupid part of God is, you know, or whatever, like whatever you could think about, I don't know. Sometimes I think about what do you think the... What would be the things that you would think would be maybe the foolish things of God? Spiders. <laughs> I was thinking ostriches, so I was just like, you know, you think of some of the wacky things. Have you seen some wacky things God does? I don't know. Whether it's in nature, you're just going, wow. <laughs> Farts. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I don't know. Like, like you can think of the foolish, the foolishness of God, perhaps, in, you know, whether it's kind of silly, things that might seem silly that God made. Or, um, I don't know why ostriches always come in my brain with that. They just are just the odd, you know, they're just odd-looking. I love ostriches, but they're just odd-looking creatures. But, um... Uh, but also I think about the foolishness of God, how much of the things of God 
that, that don't seem logical or seem silly or... How many paradoxes are there in God's world? Do you know, there's so many things that are so ridiculous. Giving, paradoxical. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just grace. You know, it's just like there's so many things in the way that God functions that defy human logic a lot. You know? So to me, that's also what I think about, not just the wacky natural things in the world, but also when I think about the foolishness of God, it's the things that really defy human logic and human intellect, but work. I'm telling you, God's economy, what about, this has been a huge one, prayer. How insane is it? I'm a big talker. Let's talk about feelings. Let's problem solve. I love talking, you know, talking about feelings. We could talk for hours about how you're doing and how you're feeling, you know, and there's a lot of benefit in that. I believe in that. But how crazy is it, I know you've tried this, many of you, that you could sit there and spend 15 minutes praying and see crazy, insane power of God, way more than me sitting around talking for three hours. Now, I'm not saying that we negate the talking part, but I'm saying on a logic scale, if there's no God, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, praying, I'm just still talking. I'm not even to a person. It should be less productive in some ways, like in, in the way that it measures up, you know? You can't explain the whole idea of how do you get more done in your day because you took time out to pray. How is that a possible? That happened to me today. I was like, oh, I'm loving my day. I got, I got extra time left over. I just was like cruising. Man, I'm telling you, I get, it seems like I get quality prayer time in the morning how do I pack so much in? I've just, you know, I got time left over. Got to work out. I love days like that. You know, got, got all my list of things to do. Got to work out. It's just, you know, got to show up, not stressed. It was great. So I don't know. The foolishness of God. Um, the foolishness of God. Um, I lost my place. The wisdom of God. Verse are we here? Oh, for the foolishness of God, in verse 25, is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That's kind of a duh in some ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, but why is it that we're not seeing it that way more often? Do you know what I mean? Like, I elevate myself and my ability all the time and what I can do. I'm, su- you know, my own brain, let me handle that. Bring it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do it. I'm tough. You know, I can take it on, that kind of thing. But it's just, when I, when I relate to life that way, as opposed to, it says, it says it's that, our, that Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That in our allowing ourselves to be weak and have needs and, and let Christ in, that's where we become strong. It says in verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And this is, you know, probably in specific to the church at Corinth. Um, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no, no one can boast before him. Now, it's kind of, I don't know how you've always felt your life, but I've definitely felt like one of the lowly things. You know, I think that there was a, you know, there, there was definitely a sense for so long of feeling overlooked or feeling like I didn't matter, you know, or certainly not feeling like one of the noble things, you know, as far as that goes. And, you know, it doesn't matter with God where you start. You know, it doesn't. doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter what you came to him with. doesn't matter what you got, what you don't got. Because God Almighty can work a work in you that that your life can be something so much more significant, meaningful, power, empowered, or whatever than the haves, or whatever, than whatever the check off the box of what the earth desires. You know, you and I are not overlooked with God. We are not insignificant. We, honestly, you know what's significant? We are significant to the only one that really matters, do you know, like, we get that, that we are noticed. We are not overlooked by God Almighty and his son. So there might be times that people disregarded you or tossed you aside, like you didn't count. But it doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter where you start. God can take you anywhere. There is no place that God can't bring you to. I'm sorry, you know what? My life started off pretty crappy. About as dark and dark and dark, you know. And not just even dark, but just degrade. I've been degraded in every way as a human being. About as degraded, you know. And, you know, it's just used in disgusting, sick, twisted sexual ways as a child, you know child growing up, this is like, I was cast aside as nothing, used like I was nothing. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't trade my life for any, anything, for anybody that does not know God. I'm sorry, there, you might have, somebody else might have started off on a better track, but if they don't have God, my life's better. I'm sorry, it is. I know it is. That to me speaks to me of what, you know, God's taken some of us at the bottom, Maybe not all of us, but to some, to some degree, honestly, we've all been at the bottom. I don't care if you had a fairly nice, put-together life, you know? <laughs> you know, there's just places that we've all been in bottom, you know? But that's what it says. It says, God, <sighs> he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. See, I see me in there. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And amen to that. I don't mind at all. I do not mind at all that that's, what my life is about, that that's what healed me, that that's what's great about my life. 
I won't stop telling it because it's true. I've been transformed. I've been healed. I've been delivered. I'm set, set free. And it's only because of God. It is not because I'm a smarty pants. It's not because of my own doing. I should, you know, it's not me pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I've tried that. I'm telling you, I did crappy at that. I've tried doing it by myself. Didn't do, go so well. Only time my life has ever gone anywhere or done anything has been when I have relied on God's strength and not mine. I've done my own trip even during my Christian walk. I've done it, and it still doesn't work or take me anywhere. So I don't mind boasting in the Lord. Doesn't ha- I'm happy to, but it's not on me. <clears throat> In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He didn't, you know what, if you're speaking the truth, it's going to speak whether you're a great speaker or not. It's, if, if it's true, it's real, and you're speaking from your heart and God's working in you, you don't have to have any fancy know-how-to-talk. You know, it doesn't. He's just, it doesn't matter. It's God's power. If God's power is working in you and you're walking in faith, it's going to speak. It's going to pierce hearts. It says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is that all? That was a joke, too. Jeez, my. I'm thinking this stuff's hilarious. <laughs> Clearly, it's not. I'm laughing at it. <laughs> I'm, I'm amusing myself like crazy in this. <laughs> um, it says, I came to you in weakness and fear and, and in, with much trembling. And, I, you know, I think about the fact is, too, um, in preaching the Lord, it's like strength really is in allowing people to see our weakness. You know, if, you, if you're trying to preach Christ and, and you're being the together person, how are they going to see Christ? You know, there's not a lot of room for that in some ways. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Again, spiritual realm versus fleshly realm. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You should be able to see the power of God if God's in it. You should be able to see things that are pretty hard to dispute are God working. There should be fruit that you're seeing in people's lives. There should be change. There should be transformation. There should be miracles. There should be things that you're going, I see God's power working. Not just a nice little talk. In verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Now, that's interesting, too, as far as that there are things of God that are understandable more with spiritual maturity and with learning to walk in the Spirit more. As a baby Christian, it's going to be limited as far as what you see and understand of how God works. It takes faithfulness and seeking God, and the more you seek God, the more that you grow in understanding the spiritual world. It's not like you start off born-again Christian and the spiritual things are just totally clear to you. 
You know, oh, yeah, I can, you know, minister healing. I can operate nine manifestations. Those are not things you just get born again and first day you're great at everything. Let me lay hands. Let me give you a revelation. Let me see demons. You know, it's just. It says, the message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Ha, ha, ha. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, we've talked about this before, but basically, in the context of this, it was, God kept it a secret. In the Old Testament, you could not see that when Christ died and got up, that we could get, receive him as Lord and get Holy Spirit inside of us. That we could get born again and receive Holy Spirit, become a child of God, have God's nature inside of us, and have power. It says, we've talked about this at other times, it says that Jesus said that the works that I do, Jesus said, will you do also? And greater works than these shall I do because I'm going to my Father. Now, how on earth would we do greater works than Jesus Christ? That seems crazy. And just even, how would we even begin to do the works he did? You know, oh, he walked on water, he healed people, got the dead up, things like that. It's not exactly a small thing for Jesus to say, what the works I do, you're going to do. That was not really known as far as what was available until Pentecost that by believing on Jesus Christ, that he's Lord and that God got him up from the dead, that God put the Holy Spirit inside of us, that we be, would become children of God and could walk with the power of God inside of us. That's how we have the ability to spir- see life in the spiritual dimension. The Old Testament, they, did not, they were not able to do that. That's why the old, there's a lot of things that are easy to understand now looking back at the Old Testament because the people of that time did not have Holy Spirit. So they could not see the spiritual realm. They weren't aware of that. But now, because of what Christ did, that we have Holy Spirit, you and I can now see life in a spiritual dimension and not just see what's in front of us. So... What it says that if Satan knew that we would have that gift of Holy Spirit because of what Christ did, he'd rather, he would not have crucified Jesus. That's how much God, God had to keep it a secret because, think, picture this. Satan, we just read about Easter. How much do you think he was all excited killing Jesus? It's sick. It's really sick when you even see the people that were driven by Satan to torment Jesus, the ugliness, the viciousness, and how they tortured him. And Satan is sitting there having a party thinking, ha, 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 I got the Son of God. You know, it it says if Satan knew what Jesus Christ was going to accomplish, he would not have crucified Jesus. He would have gone, hey, can I help you here? Well, you know, I'll make sure you're, you're safe. Dope, don't fall anywhere. You know, I mean... Or whatever, maybe not that, but but he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. He would have let him live. Now, how you think about it, Jesus died at a relatively early age. What could Jesus have accomplished living 
till he was older, quite a bit probably, lo lots of healings, things like that. But honestly, there's more power in the fact that when he died and got up from the dead, that all of us can have Holy Spirit. Satan would have rather had Jesus alive than all of us here today. There's a lot of power in that. We've talked about this before, but I'm telling you, Satan can't talk people out of getting saved. Not Well, he can, but he doesn't, when he doesn't succeed at that, the next best thing when people get saved anyway is to talk them out of the power that they have. How many people do you know that get saved, have Holy Spirit, and they act the same? It's not like their lives get any better. It's not like they're walking in power. How many people do you know get saved, don't heal anybody, don't, you know, don't operate manifestations, don't, you know what I'm saying, don't walk in the Spirit? If he can make somebody born again so that they got no power, that's, that's his next best thing from getting them born again. You got Holy Spirit, but you don't know you have it. <clears throat> it says in verse 9, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Holy Spirit helps us to get what the deep things of God are. How cool is that? Now, I still know that there's a limit on how much we can know God. God is God. It is kind of wacky that there's, it says, now we see through a glass darkly. We're not going to totally get God. I mean, look at the difference between us and God. It would be a little silly, you know. It's like the ant explaining the human or something. So, you know, it's just like there's a limit to what we're going to be able to see or understand about God. But to a great degree, the spirit that we have allows us, it says, to even search the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except for the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, who should be which, which is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You cannot understand spiritual things with your five senses. You can't see that. It won't be noticeable to you. You know, I saw, did anybody see the um, episode of, oh, I just saw some of this today. I want to watch the rest of it. The, the thing about, from Oprah about the seven-year-old boy that was trying to murder his mom. Did you guys see that? Pretty crazy. He was a seven-year-old boy, and you should see. There, I mean, they even talk about the look of evil in his eyes, and he's literally tried to murder his mom and was continuing. They showed a picture of him that he drew you know, at five years old, of him shooting his mom in the head, saying, you bitch, mom. Yeah. There's like, they had videos of him, you know, where he tried to kill his sister, tried to kill the babysitter. I'm telling you, how, come on, guys, how does this happen? This is not normal. You know, it's not normal for children to behave this way. 
There's a spiritual world. Whether we're seeing the things that are of God that are out there, the spiritual realities, or whether we're seeing and recognizing the things of Satan. You know, we don't know how many demons there are, but there are demons it talks about in the Bible. You know? I mean, gosh, how much healing would, be there, uh, would there be available if people saw that? People, you know, people not having, having no, these parents had no idea what to do with this child. They lived like this for years and years. I didn't get to watch the end to see where it all went. But the thing is, is they lived for years not even considering. You know, there's no seeking God. There was no even considering that maybe healing was available here for their child. You know, I can't imagine the terror and, and, the, and how horrific it would be as a parent to be confused, to have no idea what the heck is going on with your child. Um, so, you cannot see or exp- understand spiritual things. You know, it's weird, um, a friend of mine actually was, a, um, he's one of the heads of psychiatry at uh, Stanford University, and he said, um, of neuros, uh, neuropsychiatry at Stanford, um, he's a department head. And uh, he's a Christian, Catholic Christian. And um, it's kind of cool because he talked about how he didn't used to believe in, in de- demons. You know, he believed in God but didn't really believe in demons. And um, he, he came up with this um, concept where he would help cure patients, he, he tricked them by doing hypnosis and doing an exorcism when they thought, you know, he thought he would be all sly and try and cure them with a fake exorcism like under hypnosis. And I forgot what the details were, but he said basically the demon went after him and he knew it wasn't hypnosis. He was just like, he really went, like, he just was like, it was a real demon. Like, it was just like, and he was like, okay, I'm, this is not, I should not be playing with this pretending to do, like, <laughs> hypnosis <laughs> or the exorcism. But it just sort of like, it was really kind of cool to see how much, he, he had a bunch of stories, I can't remember them all because it was a while ago, but it was just really interesting to hear some of the stories as far as what he witnessed where he was thinking things were just mental illness and then he dealt with stuff that he was like, oh, no, no, this is so out there from the range of mental illness. Um, it says in verse 15 the spiritual man makes judgments about all things but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment I think that there's a few ways to look at this you know different points of view or possibilities Um, I think that the idea is now spiritual man is not necessarily only somebody that's got Holy Spirit But I believe we're also talking about the fact that somebody that has grown in wisdom in walking in the spirit, which is, it's a growth thing. It's a learning thing. It's, you know, it doesn't work very well when there's an ego involved. It is still something that in seeking to see spiritual things that takes seeking and asking God and humility and walking in love. A lot of people get kind of a little crazy on just when they start seeing spiritual things and I've, you know, and, and then there's, there's like a lack of listening to God or, you know, because it's still God's power. You can't fight spiritual things with your own, you know, sense of whatever. Um, 
But it talks about the fact that I believe that, you know, like when it's talking about the spiritual man, and oh, by the way, just as to give you heads up, I forgot to mention this, Sean sent me an article, uh, the NIV is going through a revision where they're going to take out the, um, the references to male-female that um, they're, gonna, they're basically going to do a more accurate job of, of the Bible's um, in the way that it's represented so that it doesn't have the gender bias in it, so... Uh, that's coming out in the 2011 NIV version, so we won't be seeing these man versions anymore, but um, uh, kind of a leftover cultural thing of using the word man for mankind or humankind or whatever, but um, anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, the, um, it says, but the spiritual person... <laughs> The spiritual person <laughs> makes, makes judgments about all things, where I think it's that when you're walking spiritually mature, you're able to judge things better. You're able to see more of life because you're, you're adding that fifth dimension, the spiritual dimension. So it's not just that you're seeing things with you know, your five senses, but you're also seeing and experiencing things in the spirit. So you're able to judge and discern what's going on. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And again, I don't think that that, I think what it means, there's a few ways to understand this. I don't think that it is that you walk in such a way that who are you to tell me? Nobody can tell me anything. Gosh, if you got in that place, you're not going to be growing, learning anything. But I think the thing is, is when you're really, there's a sense where, you know, when you're really walking with God, it, it's, you're living in a place that it's above reproach. Like, who's going to be able to really nail you on anything in some ways? I don't know. I don't think that it means, though, that you're in a, in a... I think also when you're, like, where you're walking and you're not taking input from other people. Because, you know, where, oh, I just listen to God. And, you know, um, because you've seen some crazies do that, right? How many seen people, I just listen to God, you know? Like, if you're not really getting input from other people it's going to be hard for you to really figure out if you're hearing from God. I think that goes unchecked. That's, people do that when they're... People use the God card as a trump. It's just like... It just closes things down from being open. How many... Have you ever had people do that? People do this to me. All, well, God told me this. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Argue with God? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, how dare you say anything? God spoke to me. <laughs> you know. Um... So I don't think that that's what it's referring to. Um, it says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So because we have Holy Spirit, the more that we can grow and learn to, to see the spiritual kingdom, to be aware of things that are working, whether it's the spirit of God or whether it's demons, you can grow in this. It's possible to grow in being more aware. It's possible to grow even in being aware of the closeness of God. Whether, just like the, the prophecy about being on the bench with Jesus. One of the things we're really going to be focusing on in the summer retreat, we're, we're changing the name actually to the summer retreat. Um, we want to come something snazzier. So it's still going to be the concept of practicing being in the presence of God. But we're changing it to be tuning into God's frequency. How about that? So the idea is 
God is speaking all the time. God is desiring to speak, to make himself known, to be vivid, to be present. God is never intended. God is invisible, but God does not want to be unknowable or unreachable. You know, God is accessible. God is speaking. God wants us to hear. It's possible to live life where it feels where God is so vivid, so real, so present. He doesn't seem far away. Where you can have that relationship where you really feel like you're hearing from God and you're connected to God. And that God is showing you things all day long. That you're not just relying on your wisdom. But that God's speaking and showing you revelation and wisdom and insights to life. That's possible. So we're going to be looking at that throughout the our Journey to Freedom Summer Retreat. So that and we're going to be doing exercises that are going to help you to grow. The goal is, I'm telling you, everybody's going to hear from God a bunch. Because we're going we're gonna to have stuff where, where we're going to teach some things on how to tune into God's frequency, how to be in a place where you can be hearing God's voice even more and having God be even more present. So um, uh, anyway, amen. Let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you so much for your incredible goodness and your love. And uh, truly, Corinthians is just another book that is another love letter to us. And that your desire is for us to know you better and to be aware of your presence more and more in our lives. I thank you so much, God, for each one of us here growing in that um, and understanding you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And Lachey is next up. I get to talk about my favorite subject, money. Um, uh, you know, in in preparing for tonight, I <clears throat> excuse me. Over the weekend, I I was a part of one conversation, and the other conversation I was just kind of overhearing about giving to the churches. Period, and. Um, I was thinking about it, and it, it's, you know, I, I say my favorite subject, money, because I, 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 like, I find it humorous because money is like this um, taboo type of topic or whatever you want to say in the church, and people don't like talking about money. People, um, you know, it's, it's like when you, when you bring up the word money or giving or tithing, People like a lot of people, including myself, just kind of have this wall up. Like, oh, like I'm holding on tight to my wallet. Like, I'm not giving them any money. Like, um, and so I was thinking about, and I was thinking about what these people said about, oh, this church always wants. You know, I was trying to listen to it was um, a radio show, and and they said, oh, he's always asking for money. Like every time. I tune in, like, he's asking for money every five minutes, you know, and and I'm like, oh, I personally have listened to the same person, and I was like, I, I don't even remember him even asking for money. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, you know. That, that, to me, that, that's, that's fine, but um, it, I, I'm sad, though, that it's ha- giving, is, has, it has this negative connotation, you know, and I do think it's one of those things um, like Nancy was saying earlier, like 
the devil doesn't want for you to know that there's actually power in giving. There is a lot of freedom in giving. And instead, it's, it's oh, churches are always asking for money, you know, or churches are always talking about money. And, and you know, how, has anybody ever heard that statement of somebody saying that? Okay, you know, so it is out there, but it's, to, when I, so when Mike and I got married, the reason why this is my favorite subject is because when Mike and I got, when we took our little honeymoon, right, uh, it's a couple days, um, uh, I swear, when we came back from the honeymoon, like, the bills were like, like, I swear, when I think back, this is not reality, but this is when I look back, though, I, when we got back from the honeymoon, there was, like, bills, like, piling out of the, the mailbox, right? You know, I'm like, it's, I swear, when we came back, like, the bills just started piling up, piling up. And that was our number one argument, you know? When I hear about articles and, and people saying, oh, money is the number one uh, cause of divorce or, you know, the number one uh, fighting, you know, why married people fight, I got it. I'm like, oh, wow, I see what people mean now. And we really struggle with that. And, um, so since we've gotten married, we've been on this journey. Uh, I feel like Christ has really shown me what, all about what he talks about money and, and putting God first in my finances. And so when I was thinking about this, I, I got that, um, I was like, yeah, seek first the kingdom of God, you know? And I'm like, oh, I love that verse. And so I'm like, I really want to share on that verse. And I was like, yeah, I want to seek first God. And, and um, so we'll, we'll go there. It's uh, Luke 12, 29. And so when I went to the verse, when I found it, I read the uh read everything else around it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, is totally me right here. Um, so in verse 29, it says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. Sorry, are you all there? Yeah. Okay, cool. In verse 31, it says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so um, in the start of that, that's, that is me, you know, Worrying about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to, this and this and this. How am I going to pay these bills? And it's all of this stress and anxiety. And he says right here, do not worry, little flock. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what? like I don't want to, you know? And so I, <laughs> I love that line. And it says your father is pleased to give you these things, you know, the kingdom. But, but it specifically says, like, God knows what it is that you need. You know, but we do have to do actions on our part, you know, and that does require us giving to him. That is a way of action on our part, how we put God first, you know, and God and Christ have just changed my world and my way of thinking about money and finances and worrying about how my appearance 
my, my appearance, you know, what kind of car do I drive, you know, what, um, what kind of house I have. And, and so when I was um, reading this verse yesterday, I'm like, that, that's so me. I'm w- always worrying about things. And then yet God still provides for me in the end, you know, like I, and so I remembered, you know, a couple months ago, not that long ago, I was so worried and stressed out about finding a new place and having to move out of a place I didn't want to move out of. Um, I felt like I was at my wit's end, you know, um, like I was super depressed. And in this, you know, these situations, you know, it's we live in life, right? So these situations have happened. And I feel like every time I come to my, my wit's end, when I... I've exhausted all of my options, you know, then I finally cry out, like, God help me, you know. He comes through, you know, he always comes through. And um, so when we moved, I, um, you know, most of you know the story, but I just, I, I was really at my wit's end. Like, I felt so, I, I was praying, Mike was praying for a new place for us. And I, that was one of those moments where I felt like, where are you, God? How come you're not coming through? Why can't I stay in this house? You know, why am I now having to, you know, rents have gone up, so we have to, we're trying to save money, and, you know, um, I'm just like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I kind of felt like, I felt like, God, you left me. Like, I have to pick up the pieces and figure this out, you know, and we found a place, and everything worked out, but it still was not what I wanted, and so then I felt even more so, like, gosh, like, this is my fault, like, I should have known the other house was too good of a deal, or I I should have known better, or, you know, if only I would have chosen something else, and so I was just really beating myself up, and I was just really depressed, actually, when we moved, and, um, and yet, so that's why, I mean, Steve, you know, it was his idea, and getting us a TV, you know, um, that, (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was definitely one of those moments where I, that was those moments where God was like, I already know, like, don't even worry about it. I have you covered. You know, that was way, that wasn't, you know, we don't need a TV, right? <laughs> you know, like we need food and shelter or whatever. But that was, I, I felt like that was God saying, I, I'm still here. I didn't go anywhere. I love you. You know, I'm glad that you're putting me and including me in this in your life, you know, because that was actually one thing we committed to not me and Mike are trying to get out of debt. Like, that's our track where, you know, before I, um, before we were married, like, not being in debt was, I, I didn't know people could not be in debt. Like, I really thought, like, to live a life, you have to be in debt, you know. <laughs> my, my standard of living back then was you have to be in debt, you know, compared to my income. Um, <laughs> so, I, I tell you, I... Yeah, Christ has definitely worked in my heart, and he's still working on my heart. Um, like, Mike, he, is a, he has taught me so much about giving, and one of the big reasons why we want to get out of debt is because, you know, our consequences that led us now, we're paying for those consequences of, of living and spending more than we made, you know? So we got into all this debt, and we're paying for the consequences, and... Um, but Mike has showed me just he has a huge heart for giving to other people. Like he's always wanting to take an opportunity to give to other people. And so um, financially, though, there are times where we just it's not we're not able to there. All the money is going to our debt. You know, like we pay like twelve hundred dollars just of debt, 
you know, to our debt every month. Like, that's a big chunk of change. And so we're on the track of getting out of debt so that we can give more, you know, so that we can actually, the numbers make sense, you know, so that we can do the things and have opportunities to advance God's kingdom. And um, so, so that was, so for getting a TV, we were like, wow. Like, we were just, you know, we were just, like, settled for our, our old big TV, you know? Like, for us, that was, like, our, our gem, you know? And, and then getting a, you know, nice, light, flat screen TV, we were just, like, really blown away. And so I just, I'm still blown away, and I'm just so super thankful for all of you guys who chipped in and did that for us. And um, I'm just super thankful, like, these were all little Jesuses, you know? And you guys gave to me, and so I... I, that makes me want to give to other people and just out of my thankfulness. And I remember that night, I was like, oh, God, like, I don't have that much in the bank, you know, and it's, we give once a month, and I was going to write a check out, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I should do this or not, you know, and then we got a TV, I'm like, oh, I'm writing this check, I'm like, I don't care if, I don't care if we have no money, I know God is going to provide, like, I was just like, yes, I have to give back, there's no way, like, I'm going to hold on to this check, like, it's ridiculous. And so in giving, I, I do think it's one of those things that we just are not going to understand. You know, if you did give $100, you know, it's not like God blesses us and makes sure that we're provided. But it's not like we get back $100. You know what I mean? It's not like the numbers. It's not a, a checks and balances system. You know what I mean? But he is going to provide and he is going to take care of us. And we don't have to worry and, and strive to be getting things. You know, there's more to this life. And so, um, so that's all I, I wanted to share today. And, and I just... That's one of the things that I am passionate about because I'm struggling with that. It's super hard um, to seek God first, but it's so well worth it, you know. And and so uh, I think, do we have any announcements or I can pray for the offering? Okay. Well, I'll just pray for the offering really quick before we end. Um, Oh, thank you, my Heavenly Father, for caring for your little flock and caring about the things that we need in this life, Lord. And I just, I'm super, super thankful for the way that you love us each individually and that you've brought us here, Lord. Help us to give to you, Lord, with thankful and cheerful hearts, Lord, out of the place in our hearts that um, that we see how much you care and love for us, Lord, that this is not something, this is not even like a subtraction in our bank account, but it's actually an addition, Lord, that it's an addition to adding to your kingdom and advancing this church, Lord, to do greater and bigger things, Lord, and living in this world, it costs money, Lord, and so I pray that you can, I just ask, Lord, that you just really work with each of our hearts and wherever our, wherever we're at, Lord, uh, in a gentle way, Lord, and, you know, I know that when we sought after you and asked for you, asked how much should we give, Lord, that you gave us an answer. And so, Lord, help us to be consistent. Help us to um, put you first, Lord. And really, I pray that you show, show us each magnificent things, Lord, and just experience freedom and, and uh, a purpose in this life, Lord. And so that is something that you've given us to give to you, Lord. And so I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray for all of our hearts, Lord, to give generously, Lord. Amen.